What is going on, guys? This is your host, Shino D. Phoenix, aka the one and only Shino D. Phoenix. That's me. Welcome to episode 26 of No One's Ready for Wrestling as we talk professional wrestling and I share my honest opinion about it. I want to thank you guys for, for joining in on this podcast. Uh, as you can tell, I'm kind of exhausted. I've been up and running lately. With NXT TakeOver, did my review on that, which you should check out. And I recently uploaded SummerSlam, gave my SummerSlam review on the podcast. So, take a look at that as well. And, well, take a listen to that as well. And, I'm just all over the place. But, it's been a very busy week for me. Um, I want to thank you guys so much. I know there's people who are back in school, so hopefully you have a safe first day. Or if you had your first day of school already, but just have fun for all the my new listeners. Just have fun and just enjoy your days because things will always get better. Believe me. Now, as usual, we'll do the introduction right here. Anchor has been the best sponsor. You guys know that drill. Anchor has always been the best sponsor of this podcast. I want to thank them for making this possible for me, and I just. I just couldn't believe this. It, it's a dream come true to be a part of this this community when it comes to podcasting. But I want to thank Anchor for that. Uh, you will hear an ad be played in the uh, end of the podcast. So you'll get to know more about it. Follow me on Twitter, at Phoenix. We're currently sitting at 975. We are inching, having that little baby step close of reaching 1K. I, I, I can't wait, man. I seriously can't wait. And, uh... You can find me there on Twitter more than you see me on Instagram. But follow me on Instagram at CoolManSip if you still want to follow me. And also like the Facebook page, No One's Ready for Wrestling. Now, before we talk about AEW, I want to congratulate um, my local promotion at uh, Wildcat. Because uh, it's I'm recording this on Friday, you guys know. But yesterday, they did a press conference in uh, Kenner. And I'm going to read this to you because I will be there. As you've heard earlier in the huge press conference with Mayor Ben Zahn and Luke Hawks, Wildcat Sports will be putting on the biggest, all capitalized, wrestling event outside of WrestleMania in southern Louisiana since the 1980s. They will be doing so at the Pontchartrain Center on Sunday, November 3rd. Now, this is what I want you to listen to. And tell me you do not want to go to the show. To all my people who listen in Louisiana. But if you're out of state, you might want to go, You might want to stop by and see what Wildcat's all about, bro. So, already signed. Hall of Famers Booker T and Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat. We got the Hall of Famer, the Honky Tonk Man. Rob Van Dam. MVP, Stevie Richards. Psychosis. Mexican legend Psychosis is going to be at the show. I can't wait. My boy Bestia Say Say Say. Black Taurus. We got our local talents, Luke and PJ Hawks. We got Matt Lancey, Steve Anthony. And the finals of the tag team title tournament between Pump Patrol and Fortune 5K and so much more. So tickets will go on sale on uh, August 23rd. All floor seats will be VIP and include a private meet and greet with all wrestlers. 
Oh my goodness, man. I, I can't wait. This is a huge deal. I want to congratulate uh, Wildcat. I've been a big supporter of this promotion for a very long time. And I want to share a memory with you guys. For those who don't know, the first Wildcat show I went to was during the time when Wildcat was feuding with Booker T's reality of wrestling. That was a big deal. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. And I got to interact with most of the wrestlers. I remember having this photo with Stevie Ray. Like, I still have the photo. But Stevie Ray is an awesome person to meet. And I just want to give give that a heads up right there. But I just wanted to talk about that because this is a really big monumental moment for us down here in uh, Louisiana. And I, I can't wait to be a part of this show I'm not doing commentary. I'm just sitting there as a fan, supporting Luke and and the Wildcat family, and I just I just can't wait, man. You you can tell I am excited. Like immediately, I am getting my ticket for that show. Period. End of story. <laughs> Period. End of story. Because I'm VIP. I am VIP. I'm the biggest fan right there. Sorry about that. But let's talk about AEW. Uh, we got a new signing. And the AEW roster. On the latest episode of BND Elite, it was announced that freshly squeezed uh, Orange Cassidy has signed with All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> this episode also featured highlights from the Young Bucks Final Independent Wrestling Show for House of Glory in New York City in the BTE mailbag, where the cast matches answer all your questions. <laughs> so towards the end, the first match for episode 2, on TNT is announced, which I will talk about, will be the Young Bucks versus Private Party live on TNT. So, I'm really happy for Orange Cassidy. He absolutely deserves to be a part of the AEW roster. The dude is a beast. Like, I'll never forget. It was Beyond Wrestling I went to last year. It was Joey Janela and Penelope Ford versus Moth Ma- the Moth Martina and Orange Cassidy, and this was my first time, by the way, it was my first time seeing Orange Cassidy, I'm like, this shit is awesome, (laughs) this shit is awesome, and he just, he's super over with the crowd, like, he is super over with the crowd, now, there are people who may be against Orange Cassidy signing with WWE, not WWE, what the hell am I saying, signing with AEW, but, um, Cody, actually defends AEW's decision to sign Orange Cassidy. So, Cody recently commented on why the promotion signed Orange Cassidy when prompted on Twitter. This is what he said. Easily, he's a great and fun pro wrestler. The show is 100% sports-based, but the competitors are vastly different in style and delivery. Need he say more? Need Cody say more? And I'm all in for Orange Cassidy to succeed in uh, AEW, if there's a mid-card title, I demand Orange Cassidy to be the first inaugural champion. I, I guarantee it won't happen, but I think it should happen. <laughs> now, like I said, AEW might have uh, lost fans with the latest signings. This is a cord. Now, AEW announced the signing of Orange Cassidy this week. It was the biggest news then some might have first thought because adding his style of storytelling to the mix could change some things for the brand, according to Dave Meltzer. He discussed AEW signing Orange Cassidy during Wrestling Observer Radio, although this is a great thing for some fans, like myself. 
AEW's goal is to establish their global audience, and Cassidy's style might add an interesting element to conflict what they want to present. Now, Meltzer stated, and I quote, <clears throat> I'm not sure if that's what the promotion should be at first. I think, mm, excuse me, I think silly and ironic at certain points are good, but I really think for the first 10 weeks of the company or whatever it's, it is, they just need to establish a base and roots and things like that. I'm not sure Orange Cassidy is the guy right away, even if when he goes out there, he'll get a huge reaction, for sure, from the audience. But the live audience is in the arena, and the audience watching on TV doesn't know who he is. And many of them will be entertaining a lot by him at first. But I also know there will be a many, there will be many that will. I also think there might be people at first, but I also... No, there will be many that will dislike him. You know that you know they just signed him, but if he's on week one, two, or three, and there are people who are like, let's sample this new wrestling. I know who Chris Jericho is. I know who the Young Bucks are, but I don't know who Orange Cassidy is, and I want to see if this wrestling is going to be fun because I didn't like the other wrestling, or maybe I want I want to see more wrestling, or whatever the reason you're watching. <clears throat> you're watching it, and some of them will see Orange Cassidy and like it, and some of them won't, and I just know if right away, week one, two, or three, that is not what I would want on the show. Sparingly, I think he has some real potential on television. Once the company's over, if it is, if the company's already over, then you can bring a guy like that in for cameos, and it'll work because... um. <clears throat> The company's already o the company's already over, but when you got an audience, when they haven't decided whether they like you or not, he could be, or not he could be. I don't want to say a deal breaker, but he could be a deal breaker with some people. Unquote. Now, this is for the new people. If you don't watch Orange Cassidy, if you don't see how he gets over. Like, really quick, with a snap of a finger, I, you're just going to be in for a surprise. Like, I like look at his performance at that um, buy-in at the Casino Battle Royal at Double or Nothing. The dude was super over, and he can actually wrestle. I remember watching Evolve, and he was facing the Velveteen Dream. That was the most entertaining match that I have ever seen in my entire life. That was one of the most entertaining matches I've ever seen. If you have the WWN uh, live account, you should take a look. Uh, I don't know what number it was, but it was uh, Orange Cassidy versus the Velveteen Dream. He even had a stare down with Johnny Gargano. Possible dream match in the future, maybe. Who knows? But I've seen stranger things happen in the world of pro wrestling. <clears throat> AEW's plans for booking controversial star. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted that AEW has said that they, the way they intend on using Orange Cassidy won't bother most fans. It also seems to help that Orange Cassidy got over huge in ad sales meetings. Now, Melissa said, and I quote, We were told that based on the plans they have for him, that he's going to be booked in a manner that people won't mind and it will be entertaining to most. There was also an ad sale meeting with TNT where Cassidy was bought up and the response was extremely favorable. 
if Orange Cassidy becomes the freshly squeezed mascot for the actual Orange Juice Company because of his involvement with AEW on TNT, then they could be just about the best thing ever. It could certain um, it could certainly be a great reason to keep him on television. Like we'll just have to see how AEW plans on u- using Orange Cassidy, but he's still very likely to be incredible incredibly popular with the live AEW crowd. Hopefully that popularity translates on the national level as well. Oh, I think this is going to be good. I think it's going to be good. Honestly, he's going to be a big player. Believe me. Like, I'll say it time and time again. He is going to be a big player in this AEW roster, whether you believe me or not. He can wrestle. Trust me. (laughs) He can wrestle. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just watch. Now... Kenny Omega on plans for an AEW Halloween show. Now, Kenny Omega was asked on a recent BTE mailbag whether AEW was planning some kind of Halloween pay-per-view or television show. AEW's show falls on the day before Halloween this year. So, Kenny Omega is very hopeful because apparently he has a costume in store that is even bigger and better than anything he's done in previous years. This is what Kenny Omega said. And I quote, Whether it be a pay-per-view or a TV show, I really hope we do something Halloween-themed. If you guys have been following my career a little bit, at least for the past four or five years, I've dressed up as something, so this year I'm I'm looking forward again to doing something even bigger and better than last year and the years before. So keep your eyes peeled because we start TV in October and Halloween comes soon after that. Now, AEW has a lot of options, and they're going to have a lot of fun in the process, seeing how much the Elite loves to dress up for Halloween. Anyone guess what they might have planned for the October 30th show? Oh, I can't wait. I seriously can't wait. If Kenny Omega dresses up like, um, I'm trying to see. if I want to see him dress up like, like Cody from Street Fighter, because he did that trailer for, that, uh, for, Street, for Street Fighter V. He was playing Cody, Xavier Woods was playing one of the villains in that trailer, like on the phone. <laughs> this was, I could see him dress up as Alex from uh, Third Strike. I, I just got so many ideas up up in my head right now on what Kenny Omega might wear on that Halloween theme for AEW. That, I can't wait. I seriously can't wait. Now, we got some of the matches that's confirmed for uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and Philadelphia, which, by the way, sold out. So, to all the people who are going to uh, AEW in Boston and in Philadelphia, have fun. Have fun. So, of course, we have the round one of the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament against the Young Bucks and Private Party. This should be a fun match. I am looking forward to that. And we got two former WWE superstars going to get going at it. We got John Moxley versus Sean Spears. I ax- I absolutely can't wait for that. Excuse me. Um, in Philadelphia, we got both the AEW Women's Championship and the AEW World Title to be defended on this show. So, I love AEW's booking for their shows. Like long term, that's something I like. I love long term booking. AEW unable to feature popular stars at all out. AEW is using pro wrestlers from all around the world, and sometimes that means they will need to work around commitments with other companies. An all-out buy-in kickoff show will include a casino battle royal, the winner of that all-female battle royal match, 
will be inserted in a future AEW women's women's title match. However, at least four top females won't be able to attend. Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted that Aja Kong, Yuki Sakazaki, Shoko Nakajima, and Bia Priestley are all booked for dates that make it impossible for them to make the August 31st all-out event. Therefore, AEW will need to figure out some more competitors for this match. Some fans might be, disappo- <clears throat> might be disappointed to hear this because all four of those women could be in the running for an AEW women's title shot. Eventually, it won't be happening to decide the first ever champion, but though because they already have previous commitments overseas. They can work through this. I think they can. I honestly think they could work through this. I'm, I'm not worried about it whatsoever. And AEW, they could pull a surprise out of nowhere. And speaking of All Out, they announced a new match involving Riho versus Hikaru Shida. I can't wait. Two of my favorite Joshi wrestlers to compete in Chicago on the big stage. I absolutely can't wait. I can't wait for that match. <clears throat> now, I did watch um, Road to uh, All Out, Episode 5 and 6. Episode 6 was mostly uh, Brandy cutting a promo on uh, Sean Spears, and it, it's fantastic. I, I, was, I will watch that. I will literally watch that. Brandy cut a really nice promo about Sean Spears and her husband, Cody. Episode 5, we had um, best friends talking about uh, Dark Order. We had Kenny Omega calling John Moxley damaged goods. Oh, man, you, you know they're getting me pumped for um, All Out, which is by the end of August and is coming sooner rather than later. So I can't wait for... Um, <clears throat> I can't wait to see what they have in store for us and what a, and what big surprise that they might have for the AE, for All Out and the 31st. That, I can't wait. That, I can't wait. Before we talk about the uh, the G1 Climax, there is an update involving Hiromu Takahashi. And I missed the ticking time bomb, by the way. When are we going to see Hiromu Takahashi? Now, it's been over 13 months since Hiromu Takahashi was injured during the last summer G1 special in San Francisco. Takahashi was wrestling his longtime rival, Dragon Lee, on the show, but was injured during a cradle suplex. He finished the match, defeated his rival, but collapsed backstage and was taken to the hospital. It was later reported that Takahashi suf- had suffered a broken neck and would be out of action for a year. His injury status was addressed recently on the Wrestling Observer Radio. Now, Dave Meltzer said, I've been told he would be ready late summer, said Dave Meltzer, which he said. He continued on by uh, saying that, and I hear that he's doing real well. I don't know when he's coming back, but he is coming back at some point. The only thing that I was kind of told is they want to, they want it to be a real thing. Takahashi has not been announced for the upcoming Super J Cup or the New Japan's end of summer show in London, Royal Crest. Now, <clears throat> I hope now if they have, I'm, I'm trying to think of this wisely. If they're saving his return for something big, the only thing I'm thinking about is it has to be a big New Japan show. Like, so I'm thinking possibly at Wrestle Kingdom, maybe he might make his return, but they said late summer. So we don't know when, where, when he's going to come back, but he is really missed. And uh, I hope to God that he 
like, no offense, Will Ospreay, but I want to see Hiromu win that belt back. Sorry. Sorry, but I, I just want to see Hiromu Takahashi return. I really miss him. So, now let's get to the G1, the final nights. We got night 17, Evil versus Lance Archer. Both men traded shoulder tackles to start things off. Lance hits a black hole slam on Evil, and he rolls out of the ring. Lance was beating up the Young Lions like he's beating up the putties from the Power Rangers. Like, like that. <laughs> um, Lance hits a moonsault off the apron, takes out Evil and, and the Young Lions, which was fucking fantastic. And I'm like, Lance Archer is the breakout star in this tournament. Believe me. Um, Lance suplexes Evil on the exposed turnbuckle for a two count. Evil managed to hit a Bronco Buster for a two count. Evil then went up top. He hits Lance with a superplex for a close 2.5 count. Lance hits a derail on Evil. Evil then sends Archer head first in with the chair and hits a Larry and follows it up with the assistant magic killer for a two count. Lance avoids everything is evil, hits a choke slam for a two count. Lance then F5s him like he just tosses him like a a waste of space with this F5. And evil and evil counters the EBD claw, tries to go for his finisher. Let's see, he hits the F5, evil counters the EBD claw, tries to go for everything is evil, but Lance managed to get the Everybody dies! I forgot to do that. I, I had to do that. The everybody dies claws, and he wins the match, which was really good. It was a really, really good match. We had Sonata versus Bad Luck Fale. Chase grabs Sonata's leg with Fale taking advantage. Giotto uh, attacks Sonata with the kendo stick. Fale throws Sonata to the commentary table and strangles him with the microphone. Fale worked on the ribs of Sonata and does a cocky pin for a two count. Sonata... Tried to go for the body slam, but Fale counters it into a cro- into a cover for a two count. Fale then hit um, an elbow drop for a two count. Sonata then tried to go. Sonata drop kicks the knee of Fale, hits another one, and follows it up with a plancher to take down Fale, and he did it to both Jado and Chase Owens. <clears throat> Fale then hit a splash for a two count. He countered the. Now Fale connects the grenade. Pull that pin, baby. Pull the pin. Uh, he hits the grenade for a two count. Sonata escapes the bad luck fall and hits a body slam and follows it up with a TKO. Like, he picks this guy up, hits a TKO for a two count. Sonata then applies the skull in, but Fa- and Fale was tapping out, but Chase pulled re- the ref out of the ring. Sonata puts the paradise lock on both Chase and Jado. Sonata hits a springboard dropkick on Fale, misses the moonsault. Sonata applies a skull in, and Fale cradles him for a three count, which was okay for what it was. Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, I miss Taka with that introduction. Hopefully it comes back, because it's much needed. It's much needed. So, Kenta versus ESJ. We get Circle Matt wrestling to start things off. ZSJ avoids a high kick from Kenta. Um, Zach hits multiple European uppercuts, but it fires him up and hits one forearm to knock. And hits one forearm to knock Zach down. Kenta does. 
Kenta hits multiple kicks on ZSJ and proceeds to taunt him. Zack focused on the left arm and does joint manipulations on it. Uh, oh my gosh. Zack applies a Kimura lock, but Kenta escapes. Nails him with a kick for a two count. Zack, no, Kenta hits a power slam on ZSJ, but he's holding that shoulder. Kenta stuns ZSJ, hits a jumping clothesline for a two count. Kenta grabs Zack's legs and Zack proceeds to slap him, only to fire him up, and manages to hit multiple slaps and follows it up with a running boot, hesitation dropkick, and a, and he missed a diving stomp. ZSJ hits a Northern Lights suplex and beautifully transitions it into an armbar. Zack continues to crank the left arm of Kenta, but Kenta escapes with the backhand, and both men are down. Kenta starts talking crap. Both men traded strikes with ZSJ kicking the left arm to knock him down. Kenta counters the PK... Hey, with a spinning lariat and hits a double stomp for a two count. Zack escapes the GTS and kicks the arm and sweeps the leg. Put him in a body bag, yeah. And hits the PK only for a one count. Both men traded strikes with Kenta unloading on ZSJ, but Zack counters it into the European clutch for a two count. Sabre then locks the uh, Amoplata, but Kenta gets the game over applied on ZSJ. But he makes it to the ropes. Kenta hits the Busaku knee for a close near fall. ZSJ counters the GTS with the GNT choke and transitions it into an armbar. And Kenta taps out. This was a great match. And what is Osprey's dream match? Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Will Osprey. Tanahashi hits a, a shoulder tackle on Osprey, kips up, and play like he Osprey kips up. He plays the. Uh, Tanahashi's guitar, and that triggered Mr. Hiroshi Tanahashi. Go ace. Tanahashi hits the dropkick on the knees of Osp on the knee of Osprey, hits the dragon screw leg whip. The crowd was split for both men with five minutes passing by. Tanahashi works on the knee of Osprey and actually does a bridge and deathlock. Um Osprey hits a handspring into Gary on Tanahashi with his fighting spirit activated. Tanahashi stops Osprey from hitting the springboard forearm, but Osprey sends him out to of the ring. Osprey hits the Sasuke special. He immediately grabs his leg after hitting it. We have a standing shooting star press by Osprey for a two count. Ten minutes pass with Osprey hitting a top rope Tiger faint kick six one nine, and tried to go for the springboard drop kick, but his knee buckled. Osprey escapes the clover leaf and hits a tiger wall flip kick into an enzigiri, but Tanahashi got the leg. Hits the dragon screw leg whip into a clover leaf. Both men traded counters with Osprey hitting the front clutch. With Osprey hitting the front clutch of the two count. Uh, Robinson special connects, goes for the odds cutter, but Tanahashi counters it with a sling blade into a German suplex for a two count. Osprey hits a nice standing Spanish fly for a two count. <clears throat> He hits the top rope shooting star press for a two count. Osprey counters. Now Osprey connects the Oz cutter for a near fall with 15 minutes passing by. Tanahashi counters the Stormbreaker with a sling blade and hits another one for a two count. Osprey counters the high fly cross into a roll up for a two count. Hits the Marufuji kick, hidden blade, and the Stormbreaker to win this match. This was a great match. I enjoyed it, and it was a big win for the Aerial Assassin, and both men showed respect. 
And holy shit, the finals of the A block. Kota Ibushi, Golden Star! Versus the Rainmaker, Hazuchika Okada. Now, if it goes to a 30-minute time limit, Okada wins and advances to the finals. Now, if you look closely, you can see the bruise. Now, I broke, I put this on my notes here, but if you look closely at um, Kota Ibushi's upper shoulder, you can see a bruise on it. So, I don't know how that happens. If someone can uh, let me in on that, I, I want to know. Um, both men traded strike with Kota getting the edge with a dropkick. Okada then hits a dropkick on Ibushi, goes down out of the ring with five minutes passing by. Okada hits Ibushi with a DDT on the outside. He brings him back in the end, brings him back in the ring, hits a running dropkick for a two count. Okada focuses on the neck of Ibushi with, you know, Ibushi had history of neck problems. Ibushi catches Okada with a step up Rana and both men are down. Ten minutes pass, Ibushi combination Connects, he hits a mid-kick into a standing moonsault for a two-count. Ibushi hits a plancha on Okada on the outside. Okada takes control with the running elbow, running back elbow. Okada spikes Ibushi with a DDT for a two-count. Ibushi hits a flying mid-kick. Both men are down. <clears throat> Ibushi manages to hit a power slam. Goes for the second rope moonsault, but Okada gets the knees up. Okada then hits the flapjack for a two count. 15 minutes are passing by. Ibushi was looking for what I thought was an avalanche butterfly suplex, but Okada puts him down and Ibushi hits an avalanche rana for a two count. He follows it up for a golden star powerbomb, and that was only a two count because Okada made it to the ropes. Okada escapes the Kamigoye, goes for a rainmaker, hits a German suplex, Abushi avoids the Rainmaker, and Okada hits a dropkick instead. And I really like how Okada does that clap and then hits the, hits the uh, dropkick. I think Okada has one of the best dropkicks in uh, pro wrestling. Um, <clears throat> Ibushi counters the Tombstone pile driver into a Bastard Driver. Both men are down. Both men are try on their knees, trading, ba trading strikes back and forth, and they get back up... To trade strikes with 20 minutes passing by. Ibushi rocked Okada with a strikes. Well, with a strike, and Okada hits a Shogun dropkick and it fires up Ibushi and hits a Lariat. Okada escapes the long dart and turns it into a backslide and into a Rainmaker, maintaining wrist control and hitting another one. Ibushi escapes another Rainmaker, the third one, and hits a straight jacket suplex and maintains wrist controls for Kamigoye. But Okada counters it with a dropkick. And Ibushi counters the dropkick into a sit-out powerbomb, which I thought was a really nice counter. For a close near fall. Okada counters the Bamaye with a dropkick. Ibushi counters the Rainmaker with a high kick. And he goes for the Kamigoye, but it was Okada who counters it with a cradle for a two-count. Ibushi counters the Rainmaker with a knee strike, hits the Kamigoye, and for a near fall and hits another one to be the winner of Block A. It was fantastic. I would recommend this match. I honestly would recommend this match. This was absolutely fantastic and well worth watching. Night 18 of the G1 Climax. We have Toriano versus Jeff Cobb. Rev catches Jano with tape on his pants. Or on his tights, rather. Like, 
Yano rolls up Cobb for a two count. He traps Cobb's arm, rolls him up for a two count. Yano unbuckles the unbuckles the pad, and Cobb hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Yano hits a belly-to-belly suplex of his own and slaps him in the back of the head. Big mistake, Mr. Toriano. Moving on, um, <clears throat> Cobb hits a standing moonsault for a two count. Cobb then hits a super kick, hits toward the islands to win the match, which was good. It was good for what it was. Tomohiro Ishii versus Taichi. Taichi hits an axe bomber into the backdrop suplex and immediately for a two count. Crowd is split between Ishii and Taichi. Taichi kicks Ishii in the back that fires him up and catches Taichi with a power slam. Taichi connects the uh, enziguri into a corner in the corner. Ishii catches the buzzsaw kick, hits an elbow into a German suplex. Both men traded strikes with five minutes passing by, and Ishii brings Taichi in the corner and hits him with a lariat. Ishii hits a standing stalling, not a stalling superplex for a two count. Ishii then hits a backdrop suplex on Taichi, but he gets up and eats a clothesline from Ishii. Um, Ishii then hits a sliding lariat for a two count. Taichi manages to hit the buzzsaw kick on Ishii and hits an axe bomber for a two count. Taichi then hits a high kick into an enziguri, follows it up with a last ride power bomb for a two count. Ishii hits a spinning clothesline, but Taichi hits an elbow on him, and Ishii headbutts him, and he goes down with 10 minutes passing by. Ishii turns Taichi inside out with a lariat only for a two count. Taichi uh, escapes the brain buster with multiple kicks into the back, into a backdrop driver for a 2.9 near fall. Ishii counters the super kick with an enziguri, but Taichi hits two super kicks into Black Mephisto, and he wins. And I thought this this was great. These two worked so well together. I, I enjoyed this match. And who knows? I think we might be seeing a little title match between Ishii and Taichi again. Just throwing it out there. In the future... Juice Robinson versus John Moxley. This was the best of the Super Juniors final rematch. Moxley wanted to give Robinson a free shot. Moxley works on the knee of Robinson. He applies the figure four, and both men traded slaps, and Juice reversed the pre- pressure. Uh, Moxley counters the jukebox into a cloverleaf. And this is where I just cringed right here. I really did. Um, Robinson, Juice Robinson, you sick fuck. He bit Moxley's earring off. You little sick bastard. Ugh. Um, Juice hits a flapjack into a lariat and hits a cannonball. Diving across, diving cross body is reversed by Moxley. He tried to go for the figure four, but Juice throws him out of the ring. We have a plancha by Juice on the outside. He hits a diving plancha on the outside. Moxley puts Juice's leg in the ring pose and tries to hit him with a chair, but misses. Juice hits a senton off the apron. He hits multiple punches, the Juice punches, and Moxley kicks the injured knee and puts him down with a lariat. Moxley reverses the pulp friction into a knee bar and applies the STF, and he fades, but he's not given up by grabbing Red Shoe's pants. Moxley hits the regal knee. Into a, a Pete Dunn like Xplex. 15 minutes of passing by as Juice is throwing chairs into the ring. 
Juice cradles him for a two count. Juice hits the right hand of God, but Moxley bites him. Juice then hits the left hand of God, and he hits Pulp Friction to win this match. And I thought this was really good. Hiroki Goto versus Shingo Tagaki. <clears throat> Both men lock up to start the match. They trade his shoulder tackles and strikes, but Shingo puts him down with the shoulder tackle. Shingo hits a senton on Goto. He hits a vertical suplex with just a one count. Goto hits a spinning lariat to put down Shingo and rolls out of out of the ring. Well, and he rolls out of the ring. Shingo does. Goto then hits a hanging neckbreaker back in the ring on Tagaki for a two count. Both men were trading chops and strikes. Shingo hits a snap suplex on Goto and hits a straight right into a clothesline for a two count. Goto reverses Noshigami into a suplex. Goto then hits a spinning heel kick into a backdrop suplex for a two count. Goto applies a sleeper hold, but Shingo escapes by slamming him. Um, Shingo hits Noshigami for a close near fall with 10 minutes passing by. Both men traded clothesline with each other's. Goto hits Shingo with the lariat and Ushigoroshi for a two count. Shingo escapes Ushigoroshi with Made in Japan for another near fall. Shingo hits Pump and Bomber for, again, another near fall. Goto hits the front GTR and Shingo hits a Pumping Bomber again for a near fall. Shingo turns Goto inside out with a Pumping Bomber with 15 minutes passing by for a near fall. And he finally hits Last of the Dragon to win this match. This was fantastic shit. This was great shit. And I enjoyed this match. Then we get the B-Block Finals. Tetsuya Naito versus Jay White. Jay White slides out of the ring. And by the way, I was rooting for Naito. As much as I like Jay White, I rooted for Naito. Naito throws uh, Ghetto to right on the outside. White avoids the combination cambron and chops Tetsuya Naito. Naito hits an inverted atomic drop into the combination cambron. But White throws him on the apron. Wright throws Naito into the barricade multiple times on the outside, gets back into the ring, and mocks Naito's pose. White hit a snap DDT for a two count. Um, Naito hit a one-legged drop kick. Naito sets up, hits a step-up Rana and to a back elbow and then a drop kick. Naito finally managed to complete the combination cambron and hits Tranquilo. Naito hits a neckbreaker on White for a two count. We have a snap flatliner into a stalling suplex by Jay White for a two count. White hits a, a, like, I don't care what anyone says. Jay White has the best Uranagi that I have ever seen. He hits a nice Uranagi on Naito and he goes for the Kiwi Crusher. But Naito counters it into a DDT and both men are down. Naito try to go for Gloria, but White pulls red shoes into him. Naito hits a flying clothesline into Gloria for a 2.5 near fall with two not 20 minutes with 15 minutes passing by naito hits a tornado ddt tries to go for destino but white is playing possum white hits a snap saito suplex on naito um he hits another one and follows it up with a kiwi crusher for a close near fall naito then manages to hit a poison rana but he doesn't get all of it um and hits Destino, which I thought the match was over, but Jay White kicks out. White counters Destino into a sleeper suplex. Both men traded uh, 
<clears throat> Both men traded uh, strikes back and forth with White hitting the sleeper suplex. White hits a brain buster and hits Blade Runner to win this match, to win the B block. And he will be facing Kota Ibushi, which we will talk about next. The final night. Now, there's some big talking points I want to mention before we get to Kota Ibushi versus Jay White. Um, Kenta has officially joined Bullet Club. He, if I remember, he hit the Busaku knee on Yoshihashi. If I, no, he hits the Busaku knee on Yoshihashi and Bullet Club got the win. And what really got my attention, Shibata was getting physical with, uh, Kenta hits, uh, that running big boot and a hesitation dropkick takes off the shirt. Crowd is going fucking nuts. I was going crazy, but Bullet Club lays him out. And Kenta mocks Shibata's pose by sitting on him, and he's officially part of Bullet Club. I did not, I couldn't believe it, but you know, it, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now we had uh, Suzuki. He pinned Okada, and he wants his IWGP. He wants the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from him. So we're gonna get that at Royal Quest in London. Kota Ibushi versus Jay White. The finals. Red Shoes throws Bullet Club out, but Gato stays. White slides out of the ring, playing possum. Um, Gato grabs the leg of, of Ibushi, and Red Shoes saw it and throws out Gato. Ibushi tries to go for the Golden Triangle Moonsault, but Ibushi is trapped. But my, No, not Ibushi traps him, but White traps him and works on the injured ankle of Ibushi. Five minutes pass by, and White puts more pressure on the on the injured ankle of Ibushi and pins him for just a one count. Jay White hits a butterfly suplex on Ibushi though the, through the turnbuckle for a two count. Ibushi tried to go for the Rana, but White catches him and slams his ankle on the ring. Ibushi hits a step of Enzigiri on the back of White's head and hits a snap Rana. Ibushi hits a power slam into a second rope moonsault and for a two count. Abushi hits his combination, tried to go for the moonsault again, and he tried into a moonsault. He tried to go for the moonsault knee stomp, but Jay White avoids it, and he injured it right there, He like storyline-wise. White hits the snap DDT on Abushi and hits Blade Buster for a two count. Ten minutes are passing by, and he's going for the TTO, which is his submission maneuver, by the way, but Abushi escapes. White tries to go for the chop block, but Ibushi turns it into a double stomp. Ibushi hits a mid-kick, and White counters the lariat into a flatliner into a wheelbarrow deadlift German suplex. White hits the superplex on Ibushi, and he clutches the left leg like Ibushi does. Ibushi counters the Kiwi Crusher into the Bastard Driver on White. White hits a lariat on Ibushi, and it fires him up, but White hits the high-angle Uranagi into the Kiwi Crusher, for a two count with 15 minutes passing by. Ibushi hits a sleeping suplex on uh, the sleeper suplex on White. White threw Ibushi to, at Red Shoes and low blows him. Gato comes back out and grabs a chair and both men are going after Ibushi's ankle. Ibu now White hits an inverted dragon screw leg whip and applies the TTO and he makes it to the ropes. 20 minutes are passing by. Ibushi escapes the sleeper and hits a hits white with a black with a backflip kick. Abushi then lawn darts white into the corner. Abushi hits a deadlift German suplex off the second rope for a near fall. 
White slaps Abushi and it pisses him off. And like that look on Abushi's face tells the story. It's like, you are so dead, motherfucker. You are so dead. Anyway, <laughs> and Abushi hits multiple slaps to to Jay White. Abushi drops White with a right hand. White hits a dragon screw leg whip on Abushi. He nails and Abushi nails White with a Larian, hits the Golden Star power bomb for a near fall with 25 minutes passing by. Abushi tried to go for the bomb IA, but White was playing possum. Gato tried to attack Abushi only for him to eat a high kick. White hits a sleeper suplex, but Abushi gets up, hits bomb IA on the back of White's head. Red Shoes calls Rocky to take to take out Gato, and he does. Abushi hits Bamaye for a near fall. Abushi tries to go hit a high kick. Well, he hits the high kick on White, tries to go for Kamigoye, but White counters it into a blade runner, and both men are down. Abushi headbutts uh, White and hits a straight jacket suplex. White hits two sleeper suplex into a brain buster. He goes for the blade runner, but... Abushi hits a standing Kamigoye with 30 minutes passing by. Abushi tries to go for Kamigoye, but White avoids it and tries to go for Blade Runner, but Abushi hits a jumping knee. Abushi, like, this was picking up so fast. Abushi hits a standing Kamigoye into another Kamigoye for a close near fall. Abushi puts the knee pads down and hits another Kamigoye to win this G1 climax in 31 minutes and a second. This was excellent. And Ibushi is the first person to win the New Japan Cup, the best of the Super Junior, and the G1. So congratulations to him. And if you would have asked me, if you would have asked me who was the MVP of this tournament, I have to give it to Tomohiro Ishii. The second runner-up would be Will Ospreay. The breakout star in that entire G1 is Lance Archer. No questions. It's Lance Archer. That's my take on that. Now, moving right along, I do have news on the low attendance on Ring of Honor's Summer Supercard. Now, it was first reported by Joey yesterday. PW Insider reported that Ring of Honor's Summer Supercard only managed to bring in, in a little over 1,000 people. In an update from Dave Meltzer, he added that most wrestling events in the area Area had low ticket sales and believes that oversaturation was the problem. Promotions try to take advantage of the hype of Summer hype for SummerSlam by holding their shows during the same week. But more companies than usual held events this year, and fewer people are showing up. Superkick, Smash Destiny, and Summer Supercar were all held on the same night, which forced people to choose. And I'm looking at these photos, man. Oh my goodness. Just oh my goodness. It it looks bad, it looks bad. I, I don't re- I honestly don't know what's next for Ring of Honor. I really don't. I feel like they um, I don't know. I just don't know where they might go. Either they they have AEW work work out a deal with them, or they might be bought out by Vince McMahon. Who knows? Cause we don't know where they they might go here. We just don't know. And I know they're trying, but I think it's because people just don't buy into Matt Taven as the Ring of Honor world champion. I don't know. Maybe it's that or it's just, I don't know what it is. Like, if someone can enlighten me about what's going on with Ring of Honor, please let me know on Twitter.
seriously seriously worth it but i'm happy at the same time but because wwe announced that king of the ring is gonna be returning now note that is not the original theme by the way that theme i actually found was from sonic the hedgehog on the arcade but this was this is great man i'm really happy that they're bringing back king of the ring we haven't seen it since 2015 so, 18, 17, we haven't seen this since four years. Damn. So, like, I hope this is used as a way to elevate a new star instead of using it as a gimmick or a storyline to progress something, which, sadly, I could possibly see. But I'm really happy that the King of the Ring is back. Now, the plan for the King of the Ring revealed... FOW Online reported that the King of the Ring finals will take place at Clash of Champions on September 15th. They will air multi-week tournaments on both Raw and SmackDown Live leading up to the event. The tournament is expected to fall in line with the previous year, so it will be a single elimination. The eight wrestlers on Raw and the eight wrestlers from SmackDown will compete, um, but no matchups or brackets have been released at this time. This kind of... This is the kind of boost of nostalgia that WWE loves to bring back every now and then. At this time, there's no word on how this tournament will alter any title pictures or what the winner might get. Now, why is WWE bringing back the King of the Ring tournament? Dave Meltzer noted on Wrestling Observer Radio that WWE constructed the King of the Ring tournament for for one reason, it's all to build around pushing one guy who was supposedly the winner of the whole thing. It wasn't noted who the entire tournament was brought back for, but WWE apparently brought back the King of the Ring tournament for one particular superstar. Now, a lot of fans saw Baron Corbin in the tournament and automatically assumed that he could be in line to become King of the Ring. God, I hope not. And adds to the list of previous accomplishments in WWE. However, Ricochet was known as King Ricochet for a long time in the Indies, which might not be worth ignoring, especially with Paul Heyman's influence and the creative influence. Well, his position in the creative influence. This is very interesting de development, but we'll have to wait and see who ends up winning the whole thing and what WWE's direction will be after that. The King of the Ring tournament will conclude at Clash of Champions on September 15th. Now, if it's built on one superstar, they have to get a big push. It ha and, and like I said, I hope it's not used for a gimmick, but if it's, 
if Baron Corbin wins it, I'm done. I'm done. I am absolutely done. I will be completely done if that really happens. And nobody wants Baron Corbin to win. The dude has fallen big time right now. Now, speaking of competitors, here are the competitors that will be competing in this tournament. And I will give my early prediction on who I think should win the entire thing. I'll include my main winner, the runner-up, and my wild card. So, on the Raw side, we have Baron Corbin, Cedric Alexander, Cesaro, Drew McIntyre, Ricochet, Sami Zayn, Samoa Joe, and The Miz. On the SmackDown side, we have Mustafa Ali, Andrade Cien Almas, Apollo Crews, Buddy Murphy, Chad Gable, who I got news on, Elias, Kevin Owens, and Shelton Benjamin. Now, these are really nice. This is a nice bracket right there. Now, who is my pick to win it all? I'm going with Andrade. That's my early prediction. I think he's going to be my main pick to win the entire thing. My runner-up would be Drew McIntyre or Kevin Owens. Yeah, you know what? Kevin Owens is going to be my uh, runner-up. Wild card, I'm I'm split between two. Buddy Murphy and Drew McIntyre. Those are my two wild cards. But I think Andrade is going to win the entire thing. And this should grant him an opportunity at said title in the future. Moving forward. (laughs) Moving along. WWE reportedly considering Evolution 2.0. Evolution was a groundbreaking event for the company, but are you ready for round two? Tom Collihue reports that WWE didn't pull the trigger on holding another Evolution event because they were not confident in the star power. Well, whose fault is that? Now things are changing. Apparently, we can thank uh, a certain someone for that. I'm not going to say who it is. It is reported that WWE now feels more confident about their top superstars in the women's division, and they are considering holding another Evolution event. There's also a possibility that Brie Bella could make an in-ring return as well. Even though Trish Stratus retired at SummerSlam, she still impressed a lot of people. Candice LeRae and Io Shirai also really impressed people with their NXT TakeOver Toronto match, which I said in my review that it was one of the best matches that rivaled Gargano and uh, Adam Cole. And I thought it was better than uh, Gargano and Adam Cole, to be quite honest. And... Therefore, discussions for Evolution 2.0 has reportedly begun in earnest. It seems, but it seems that if they could possibly arrange a return of Ronda Rousey for a match, then that would certainly help things out. Now, I'm just, I'm just gonna say it like it is: you don't need Ronda Rousey for everything. You really don't. I honestly think you can't rely heavily on Ronda to get Evolution 2.0 when you got. A rost, a loaded roster of women that should go out, that could go out there and just tear the house down. Now, some of them might be out of action. Some of them are MIA. We don't know what's going to happen, but I'll, I would be all in for an Evolution 2.0 if they do it right. Just throwing it out there. Now, if I were to book a card, I know for the NXT Women's Championship, I they did the latest tapings. I'm not going to spoil it, but we might be seeing, we might see something along the lines of. What we might see involving Baszler versus her opponent. Or rather, if you take the belt off said Baszler, like I said, and put it on someone who is white hot like Io Shirai, we could have Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae fighting for that women's title. Now, the UK women's title, depending on what happens in Cardiff, if that hap- if it happens in October, I don't know if it's going to happen in October. 
Because that was the last one I remember. If it does happen, I could see, depending on what the situation with Tony Storm, I could see Tony defending her title against a Tegan Knox. I'm down with that. That's a match. That's a match I'm dying to see. We could have. I, I don't know what they might do. It's all up to the imagination. Trish Stratus reportedly wants one more match in the WWE. Trish Stratus wrestled her retirement match at SummerSlam, but there's another match she would love to do as well. You never know if, if it might be tempting enough to pull Trish out of retirement for for it if WWE would like it could it could work into the plans. Tom Collihue reports that a source in WWE stated that Trish and Alexa Bliss talk frequently and want to do a match. Bliss is a huge fan of Stratus, so this could be a dream match for her as well. After all, Bliss was supposed to wrestle Stratus at Evolution, but she couldn't work the event due to a concussion. Tom Collihue said, and I quote, They both talk about the match all the time. It was a missed opportunity. They still want to make it happen, but who knows when the chance will come again. Now, this is very interesting and make you have to wonder if Trish Stratus declaring her retirement might be a smart move after all. She could have had more leverage after publicly announcing she wrestled her final match. Like, literally. I I don't want... Like, I'll be honest. Yes, it's a dream match, but do you really want to see that match when Alexa, can ta- when, when Alexa can't take a bump? No offense, Miss Bliss, but look, you're a fan of Trish. I'm a fan of Trish. Would it be a nice dream match? The, the promo work would be... Uh, okay, but the match itself would just be bland. That's the best terminology I would say. Bland for what it is. I'm 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 not going to be on a defense and saying, look, this is a good match, but I, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening. And I, if you want me to be honest, we could have had two things for Trish Stratus to wrestle. And the match with Charlotte was re- was really good, to be quite honest. It was really good. But if you want a dream match, there's Trish Stratus versus Sasha Banks. Trish Stratus versus Asuka. Something that we should have got at NXT TakeOver Toronto uh, three years ago. When Asuka was the NXT Women's Champion. It was a missed opportunity. But out, out of these, that's the two I want to see in the future. But... And she says she wrestled her final match, which kind of contradicts about her wanting to come up, wanted to do one more match with Alexa Bliss. I, I don't see that happening. I honestly don't see it happening. And that's just me being honest. Moving on, we have Alicia Fox, rumored to have been sent home after a drunken fan incident. I don't know what it is with Alicia Fox. This woman seriously needs some help. Before something terrible happens. I don't want nothing bad to happen to uh, to um, Alicia Fox. I know from one of my workers told me that she's really nice in person. But this story here makes me question her decisions in life. Alicia Fox showed up to WWE's live event while intoxicated months ago. She was allowed to work a six-woman tag team match which cost Arn Anderson his job. There's... Now we have more troubling news to report. There is a rumor going around that Alicia Fox had another incident over the SummerSlam weekend. We've heard fan reports saying that she was drinking heavily and apparently there was an altercation. Casey Michaels of Square Circle Sirens, who is a really awesome source when it comes to women's wrestling and other sources, um, 
that he heard she was sent home after an incident with a fan. Either a fight or just them yelling at one another and someone had to intervene in the situation. This is a very this is very concerning if true at least hopefully Alicia Fox will have much better days ahead of her, but she hasn't completely gotten over her troubles with alcohol at this time. Alicia Fox is a veteran WWE superstar who was apparently quietly moved to the Legends roster recently. She was around the SummerSlam weekend in Toronto, but she wasn't used. And there is an update about this whole incident. Now, the fan account a w, account of WWE staff trying to contain a drunk Alicia Fox in Toronto. Now, Twitter user Live or Leave tweeted this out. Um, your girl Alicia was leaning, staff holding on to sis by the elbow. It was actually sad, but I couldn't believe it. She was hanging with the wrestlers while I was waiting for my friends to come to the hotel. Then when she got up, fans were getting ready to swarm her but stopped because it was obvious she was drunk and WWE staff was trying to contain her. This is sad, man. This is absolutely sad. And it's very unfortunate, but it sadly falls on the line with Alicia Fox's history. Now, Ringside News founder Steve from Florida even witnessed her leave the first May Young Classic years ago and drank at a hotel. It's too bad that things haven't seen uh, seem to change much. And I'm, I'm going to say this right here. And Alicia, you really, really need help. You seriously need help. Because I don't know what road you're trying to take, but the more you constantly do this, I, I just don't know where it's going to lead you, man. Because, I don't know. I, I just don't know. This woman needs help. If she's denying going to rehab, she, like, the woman desperately needs it. She really needs it. Like, WWE tried to help her out, but she turned it down. Like, you need help, Alicia. You, ju- you gotta fight off these demons. Like, seriously, this woman needs some help, bro. And I really mean it. I really mean it. She, she needs help. Moving on, Paige. Now, Paige recently had surgery on her neck again. Now, the manager of the Kabuki Warriors um, said the neck surgery was good. Like, she's feeling good before surgery. Things didn't change when she got through surgery. She looked to be in good spirits. She might have still feel some of the woozy drugs that she was on during when they needed to put her under for surgery. It's great that she's... Okay, because she had plenty of fans who were worried about her. Now, she might never wrestle again, but the Kabuki Warriors need their manager, so hopefully Paige will be able to get back to good health so she can leak Asuka and Kyrie Sane back into battle. Now, I'm glad that Paige is okay. I'm really glad that Paige is okay, and hopefully she gets well soon. And I like Paige. I really do. I know people can complain about Paige here and there, but if there's one memory I've had, like, I first watched Paige when uh, WrestleMania was down here, WrestleMania 30, and I went to Access. One, I did it as um, a fan, and one time I worked it, and I I got to tell you, man, seeing Paige was like, wow, that's fantastic. And when I was working the Raw after Mania 30, and I heard Paige's music. I'm like, that music sounds familiar. And there she is. Paige is on 
on Raw beating AJ Lee for the Divas Championship. And the crowd went nuts. The crowd went nuts for that part. And it sucks that she's not that she's not wrestling anymore. But again, I would just say this. Where does this leave Oscar and Kyrie without their manager? I mean, you could let them speak. They got they could speak English pretty good. Why not give it a chance? Let them develop as their own entity when Paige gets back. You don't need Paige to have them speak for them. Let Oscar and Kyrie do the talking. Because Oscar can speak pretty good English. I can understand her pretty well. So does Kyrie. And but like I said, get well soon, Paige. I hope that you make it back soon. Now we move on to the news. Vince McMahon breaks promise and refuses to release Dolph Ziggler from WWE contract. Um, Bodyslam.net reports that Dolph Ziggler and McMahon had a deal that he would work through SummerSlam with Monday being his final date. Then McMahon would grant Ziggler his release from the company. Apparently, that didn't work out like the show-off thought it would. Now, they said, and I quote, on Monday prior to Raw... Dolph approached Vince McMahon to thank him. However, it was then that Vince told Dolph that he could not let him out of his deal and that he would rather just pay him to stay home. I don't know if that screams AEW because looks like he didn't want to lose Dolph Ziggler. He didn't want to release Dolph Ziggler because he might be going to another promotion like a New Japan, an Impact Wrestling, an AEW, or maybe a Ring of Honor, or just freelance around the world or he could focus on his comedy I don't know what they I don't know what it is but you could tell this is a desperation move from Vince McMahon the man does not want Dolph to leave WWE he doesn't want to release him because if he releases him he's going to go to another promotion and he's going to be treated with bigger importance like if he goes to New Japan he's going to be a big star if he goes to AEW they're going to be all up on him. They're going to make him the biggest star right there. If he goes to Impact, need I say more? But Vince is desperate. The man is desperate. That's the best way I could say it. He is desperate to keep his talent. Um, WWE reportedly wants to keep Bray Wyatt's character special, and this is a smart move in my eyes. Ryan Satin reports that he was told that WWE has decided that Bray Wyatt's character shouldn't be overdone, and... I got to applaud them right here because this is a great move right here. It shouldn't be overdone at this point. They want to keep him special and give off the impression that fans never know when we'll see him next. Ryan Satin said, and I quote, From what I've heard, Bray Wyatt wasn't shown on WWE TV this week to follow up the Fiend debuting at SummerSlam because they want his character to be special and for it to feel like you'll never know when he's going to strike next. This is a smart move because that it gives me that Undertaker vibe, you know? It really gives me that Undertaker vibe. Like, you never know when he's going to show up instead of overdoing it every single week or twice a week. You, you just keep it when it's necessary. Like, when it's a Big Four, when it's WrestleMania, when it's a Royal Rumble, a Money in a Bank, a SummerSlam, Survivor Series. And if it's a big match feel... That's when it makes sense. That's when it makes sense. So kudos to WWE right there for playing it smart with Bray Wyatt's character because he is the best thing in WWE right now. Besides NXT. 
Why WWE bought back Pyro at SummerSlam? Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted fans who really enjoyed that fireworks show during the event can thank the ongoing war with three simple letters. A-E-W. With the wrestling war going on, this is what Meltzer said, and I quote, with the wrestling war going on, excuse me, they bought back heaps of pyro. Now, I don't know if they're going to continue to bring back pyro, if it's permanently, or if they might save it for a big pay-per-view show, like, if they save it for pay-per-views, then, I mean, I'm fine with that. Pyro is needed, man. It makes the entrances feel special, to be quite honest. And seeing Pyro again, like one of my followers told me that he jumped off his seat when he saw Pyro. And I'm like, oh, he was like, holy shit, they bought it back. I jumped off my seat. I'm like, wow, they they really bought it back. Only for most of it. They did it for Goldberg. They did it for Brock Lesnar. But hopefully we see more because it's desperately needed. Uh, WWE reportedly in talks with... An international promotion. Now, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, they noted that Paco's widow is in control of CMLL. Um, WWE has opened up talks with the popular Mexican promotion. Ocio Alonso taking over control of CMLL after Paco Alonso passed away. WWE has had talks with the promotion. Now, Triple H recently said that they want to start a Latin America version of NXT, so this could open the door for, for that to happen. If anything, CMLL has a lot of talented wrestlers which could bring which could include a breakout star that WWE has been looking for to capture the interest of the Hispanic fans. Now I, I, I just this like this is Vince we're talking about. Now I'm all f- I correct me if I'm wrong, is isn't CMLL in a working relationship with uh Ring of Honor and New Japan, if I'm correct. Because why would WWE want to... You want to know why they want to do a relationship with CMLL? Is because AEW has a working relationship with Triple A. Do you honestly think, for one second, that Vince wants... um Vince wants um CMLL and WWE to work together? Do you honestly think that... She wants to work with the WWE, seeing how Vince is egotistical to kill competition. Like, that's my theory. I think the only reason he wants to do to negotiate with CMLL is because he wants to combat AEW. And that's the God-honest truth. That's the God-honest truth. And we continue on here. WWE, and this is the AEW effect... This is true AEW effect to its finest. WWE interested in signing indie wrestlers they never wanted before AEW started. Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports that at this point, WWE is talking about bringing in a few names that they they previously had no interest in. We'll just have to wait and see who shows up in the next few months. But there could be some people getting offers from WWE just because they don't want them landing elsewhere. Melsa stated, and I quote, WWE has opened up the idea, the talks about bringing a number of people in that they've never had any interest in. With the obvious reason that there is a belief they could be of a value to the opposition. 
like there was talks that WWE, like if you remember, WWE wanted Joey Watt, Joey Ryan. Do you honestly think Joey Ryan would be successful in WWE? The answer is no. Now they want to focus on getting talent that they don't want, so they could go, so they don't want them to go to AEW. Like here's the thing, Marty Scurll, his contract, Marty Scurll's contract ends in November this year. We don't know if he's staying or he's gone, but there's possible possible talks that he might be leaving Ring of Honor. And that would be another huge blow on Ring of Honor's behalf. And I could see Vince lobbying Triple H to sign Marty Scurll and send him to NXT UK. I don't know if he's still de- dating uh, Deanna Perrazzo. I don't know when's the last time they took a photo together, but I, I literally see this happening. I seriously see this happening. And... This is just to feed Vince's ego. He doesn't want people to jump ship like from the Indies to AEW because he knows that he's going to get outperformed by AEW. The AEW effect is real, ladies and gentlemen. The AEW effect is real. And if that does not tell you that Vince is desperate, I don't know what to tell you. Moving on. Um, WWE reportedly changing model for house shows. WWE has been uh, pretty having a pretty hard time getting fans to show up at house shows. These live events used to have no issue selling tickets to local markets, but now they're obviously having trouble, which could lead to a change in direction. Just this week, the company canceled five house shows for the end of August. This could be troubling for some fans, especially those who were looking forward to attending one of those shows. But the company is reportedly planning even bigger things. Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted that WWE is going to start drifting away from the idea of doing single-branded house shows. Instead, they will be holding more super shows with superstars from each brand. This change of direction might limit the dates that superstars have on the road, which is a smart move, but the added appeal of more superstars on the card will also hopefully encourage more fans to buy tickets. Now, what I would do, just don't do house shows on a Monday and Tuesday for your separate brands. Like, SmackDown has a house show on a Monday, and, like, less, like I said, I think they're trying to lessen the house shows. And if you're doing super shows, not like, like, a big show somewhere, that's fine. But, I'm not saying Saudi Arabia, because every Saudi show you watch is just... You just dread watching it. But if you're doing a super show, you got to make it feel special. That way people could get interested and come back and see in their favorites. But I'm glad they're limiting the house shows because that takes a toll on the wrestlers' bodies. And I, I got to give them, give them credit where credit is due. They're playing that smart. Now... I just hope that what when they're doing these super shows, they actually make it feel special. Because, look, if you watch a super showdown, like in Australia or New Zealand, like, people say it's just a glorified house show, and that's exactly what it was. That's what a super show is. It's going to be a glorified house show regardless. Moving along, and this pissed me off. And I don't know who in the right mind thinks this is a good idea to change this guy's name. I don't know if this is funny or someone must be smoking something. Whatever it is. WWE will sometimes change up a superstar's name for any number of reasons. One big reason for a name change is because Vince McMahon wants it to happen. 
Take this report with a grain of salt. Mike Johnson noted on PW Insider Elite Audio that Chad Gable could be in line for a new name soon enough because WWE filed for a trademark on a new name and some very interesting verbiage during SmackDown Live will will lead some to believe this change is on the way. He says, and I quote, Mike, the future of Chad Gable might be obscured a bit. There was a promo that they released after SmackDown with Shelton Benjamin talking about King of the Ring and Chad Gable was standing next to him. He said, hey, Shelton, what's up? Shelton looks up. Shelton looked at him and said, Shorty, and walked away. We noted a couple of weeks ago that WWE has copyrighted the name Shorty G for a potential character. If Chad Gable is going to be Shorty G, if that's where they're going with it, I don't sense a bunch of upward mobility here in the future, in his future with his character. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, seriously, are you kidding me? Yeah, let's change um, Chad Gable's name to Shorty G. Does Vince McMahon find this shit funny? Like, seriously, does he find this shit funny? Because this is not funny. This is seriously not funny. I I want to know. Like, if this is the case, at this point, if I'm Chad Gable and I find out my name is going to be changed to Shorty G, I'm fucking out of here. I'm leaving. I'm leaving WWE and I'm just going to take my potential elsewhere. Or better yet, Triple H could bring me back to NXT. Not everybody should go back to NXT, just saying, but... I mean, you got 205 Live. I would rather stay on 205 Live if they're going to call me Shorty G. But if that's the case, this is stupid. Absolutely stupid. And I think Vince is just going to laugh every time someone says Shorty G. Just for his fucking amusement. Give me a break, man. I know how talented Chad Gable is, but come on, bro. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Moving on, before we talk about Monday Night Raw, Nia Jax. Now, we haven't heard from Nia Jax in a while. Apparently, she deleted her Twitter and removes WWE from her Instagram. Now, Nia Jax, she's currently out of action after double knee surgeries when both her ACLs needed fixed. Um, where she, she needed to fix her ACL. But that time away from WWE might not be making her too eager to come back. This is rather interesting development, especially considering the fact that Nia Jax loves to have fun on Twitter. However, Jax has recently deleted her Twitter profile, and that's not all, though, because she did keep her Instagram up. Now, the irresistible force may might have to keep her Instagram profile active, but that doesn't mean she doesn't uh, she didn't change that too, because Nia Jax has now removed any WWE reference from her profile's descriptions. This is very interesting development. We previously reported that Jax is expected to be back in early 2020, but we don't know if she might be coming back. But I, I don't know what the situation is. Maybe maybe she's just burnt out in wrestling. Maybe she wants to focus on something new. I don't know what it is, but it's a wait-and-see game. That's the best... That's the only thing I could say. I, like, I'm hearing that... From someone's, like, I'm no source, but I heard, like, from Brad Shepard. This is Brad Shepard saying that she's just uh, refreshing her character or something like that. I don't know what the hell this guy's reporting. The man has his own ego when he talked about Sasha Banks. Yeah, you got it right. Now be professional about it and stop showing off, bro. 
But I don't believe that. I, I just think she's just burned out in wrestling right now. She wants to do something different. That's my take on it. I think she's just burnt out. There's really nothing else for... Uh, I don't know what's next with Nia Jax. If she wants to do something different, that's fine by her. She could do whatever the hell she wants. Now, as I'm recording this, WWE just released the brackets for the King of the Ring. And I looked at it, and some of them are really cool to, to see. So I'm just going to reveal it to you real quick before we talk about Monday Night Raw. Um, on the Raw side of the bracket, we have Cesaro versus Samoa Joe. This should be a fun match. I'm looking forward to that if it's done right because Cesaro's a hard worker. How he's not rewarded still baffles me. We have Ricochet versus Drew McIntyre. I think I know where this is going to go through here. We have Cedric Alexander versus Sami Zayn. We all know where this is going to go through here. The Miz versus Baron Corbin, spare me. On the SmackDown side, we have Kevin Owens versus Elias. And we have Buddy Murphy versus Mustafa Ali. Oh, relive that glory days of 205 Live when these two put on an excellent match. Hopefully they don't uh, handcuff it and let these guys go out there and just tear the house down. We have Chad Gable, who, of course, I said that they might rename him as Shorty G versus Shelton Benjamin, former tag teams facing each other. And we have Apollo Crews versus Andrade, again. But this is the brackets for uh, the King of the Ring. Looks nice, but I... I like I could see, um, like I don't, I don't know what I could say. Some of the ma- outcomes I could see really happening pretty quick, but let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Um, let's bring out the uh, Phoenix poll for ex- for a moment. We had 18 votes in total. Um, we had um, 44% thumbs up, 39% in the middle, 11% thumbs down. And 6% didn't watch. This took place in Toronto because it's the SummerSlam after. So why not? Now, the show opened with Seth Rollins. He talked about how how he had enough to beat enough energy, this, this burning energy to beat Brock Lesnar. And, you know, the crowd was chanting, burn it down, all that other stuff. And... I'm trying to think what he's like. He's like, you guys, you gave me this energy to beat Brock Lesnar. And now he's sit. He stands here as your universal champion. Out comes the OC. AJ Styles challenges Rollins and he accepts. And Rollins said that he had, uh, he used to have respect for AJ, but now he doesn't. So he accepts, shakes his hand. He teases about the OC doing something and, uh, just playing that little mind game. We had Samoa Joe defeating Sami Zayn. This was this happens when Sami was talking about uh, the street was talking to the Street Profits about how their their lives in NXT how their lives would be like changed when they get called up here to Raw and SmackDown. Mentions Seth Rollins, mentions Becky Lynch. Samoa Joe is right behind him. This was typical Samoa Joe beating the shit out of uh, Sami Zayn, and that was it. The Miz, he defeated Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler was wearing a Kabuki Warriors shirt. So, he is a fan. He is a fan of the Kabuki Warriors. And I think he has great taste in women with these two. 
We have Ricochet defeating Elias. This was a nothing match. It did nothing for me whatsoever. We had a two out of three falls match involving Rey Mysterio and Andrade. It was a clean sweep. Andrade won here. I don't know what they're going to do with Rey Mysterio. And he's been teasing something about family. And I think Dominic... And I'm hearing talks that WWE wants... uh, I'm no source, but I heard that WWE wants Dominic to start wrestling in early 2020. But I I could see that happening. We had a really awesome match, which I thought was the best part of Monday Night Raw. We had Cedric Alexander versus Drew McIntyre. They let... Like, if you have a tournament like this, and you let these guys go out go out there and tear the house down, this is the result you're going to get. The crowd enjoyed this match. Drew McIntyre ate, uh, hit uh, Cedric with a Claymore kick. The way Cedric sold it was fantastic, and he got the win. That was a really fantastic match. And probably the best part about Monday Night Raw. We had a nothing match involving Robbie Roode and No Way Jose. This was just Bobby Roode getting the win because he's in Canada. He, they had to let the Toronto native get the win, get a win on on Monday Night Raw. We had the Revival versus the Lucha House Party. This ended in a no contest because of the 24-7 shenanigans. The Revival, they are your co-champions, and they dropped it to R-Truth, who I believe is holding it holding the title for the 12th time, if I'm correct. Now, Elias maxed him with the guitar, and he wins the title. Natalia comes out. She talks about her match with Becky, talks about her dream that she had about her father. And I don't know if I was hallucinating or anything, but when I heard Sasha Banks' music theme, I'm like, part of me is like, yes, she's back, but a part of me is like, oh, I don't want her to come back. But I'm really happy to see she's just see uh, Sasha Banks return, and she turned heel for the first, like, ever since she got called up. There was tease of her and Bayley feuding. There was, like, we got a glimpse of NXT Sasha. She took out the purple uh, wig and wore, and she's wearing the blue hair now. And I have to admit, it suits her. And you had Becky coming out. She gets laid out by Sasha. Multiple chair shots. One of them actually connects to the back of her head. But I'm really happy that Sasha Banks is back. Even though I say it would make her look like a hypocrite if she did come back. But, I mean, if they have, if they promised her the world... Like, I want to know what they promised her to make her return to the WWE. But you need, a new, you need someone new to challenge Becky Lynch. And Sasha Banks is one of, the, one of those people. Speaking of Sasha Banks, WWE went through great lengths to keep Sasha Sasha's return a secret. Mike Johnson opened up on PW Insider Elite Audio saying that his sources were all reporting nada when it comes to uh, D- Sasha Banks' whereabouts. And he said, and I quote, you got to give WWE credit for this. I asked a million times, no workers. I spoke to saw her. I spoke to saw her. Um... Uh, nobody from behind the scenes that I spoke to saw her. No one from the creative team I spoke to had any indication where she was She was coming back, and they admitted to me. Nobody spotted her getting into town. Whatever they did, whatever they drove her quietly over the border and hid her somewhere, whatever they did, they did great. And I got to give... And like I said, I give credit for WWE. 
for WWE for this. This was a really nice um way to make her return. And now that she's a heel, we could go into a new direction right now. And something fresh. And if you give Sasha a decent title reign, please promise her on a decent title reign. Instead of giving her a 32nd day reign. The War Raiders, they, they squashed some talent. I'm so tired of seeing this. I'm really tired of seeing this. And if you're not going to use the War Raiders right, send them back to NXT, please. Because it means, it shows me that you're not having any ideas for the War Raiders. That's what you're telling me. This is what happens when you split your tag team divisions on both brands. How about you just merge the tag team division and build it for competition? Please. Like, I was speaking to myself and I was saying, how about if you do Survivor Series where the Raw tag team titles will be on the line with the SmackDown tag team titles and you have a big unification match right there. You have a big unification match where the winner will be crowned the unified uh, Raw and SmackDown tag team champions and the tag team division is merged right there. There's... They have nothing for War Raiders but just squashing enhancement talents. I know how good these guys are. It's up to WWE to show me how, like, put them in the ring with the Revival. Put them in the ring against AOP. One of my followers even said, put Sarah Logan in this group. Put Sarah Logan with her husband. Why not do that? We had a women's tag team title on titles on the line. I... Did not care about this match whatsoever because I knew what the outcome was going to be. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, they retained. Kyrie, Sa- it pained me. It seriously pained me to see Alexa Bliss, of all people, pinning Kyrie saying not once, but twice. And you know what she did? You know what Alexa did throughout most of the match? She let Nikki do all the work. Nikki hit the pay, hit the uh, um, purge. She tags in, hits Twisted Bliss, and that was it. She did minimum. She did minimum. And I I tweeted out on that show, and a lot of you, like, this is what I said. What did I tell you? Too early to take the belts off them. Match did nothing for me. Kyrie and Asuka can wrestle circles over Bliss. I just don't care about those paperweight, about those titles. They're paperweight titles. Again, and this is when everybody this is, and I know everybody agreed with me on this. I said again, this is the best that you got for Kyrie Sane. Why the hell would you call her up for this? She should have just stayed in NXT and feud with Io Shirai. Hey Vince, and I didn't tag him. I just said, hey Vince McMahon, treat your legit all legit is all capitalized talented women with respect. And I said, and I continued on ranting, saying, at this point, I don't want Io Shirai to go to the main roster because I fear her fate. And Brad Shepard is saying that Vince McMahon is a fan of Io Shirai. I don't believe that. He probably hasn't seen the woman wrestle. I don't believe it. Like, I seriously hate backstage political agendas for this company. Why can't they just let things organically happen and let the crowd decide on what's right? So after I posted the polls, I calmed myself down and I said, if there's one thing Kyrie Sane said, and I just said, hashtag never give up. I'm not giving up on her and Asuka because they're my favorite Joshi wrestlers in the world right now. I'll continue to support them no matter what. 
And I think Kyrie got wind of my tweet of the never give up. And she even said, like, I'm going to see if I can find it. Because she did say, um, in my dictionary, the word give up is not listed. Uh, <clears throat> I will never give up. And she she corrected herself in the next tweet saying, oh, give up is two words. <laughs> uh, you you got to love Kyrie saying, man. They need to start pushing Oscar and Kyrie. I, I don't know why, but I'm not giving up on him. So, in the main event, Rollins, he defeated Styles via DQ because OC had to get involved. Ricochet came out, tried to make the save. Braun Strowman, the man that I did not care about, and he makes the save, and he hands Seth Rollins his universal title, which means to me that at Clash of Champions, I'll... Seth Rollins is going to be facing Braun Strowman for the Universal title. I don't care about it, and already your second title reign's not off to a good start. Can it be someone legit, please, like a Drew McIntyre or a Cedric Alexander, give opportunities to somebody and let them go out there and tear the house down? Braun Strowman, for me, he has fallen to the point where I just don't care. Like, I don't care. If this match is confirmed for a Clash of Champions... I don't care about it. I don't, I just don't care. Like, period, end of story. SmackDown Live. It took place in Toronto again. We had 18 votes again. Uh, 33% thumbs up. 56% in the middle. And 11% didn't watch. 0% thumbs down. Now, bef- now Raw, it was just, uh, eh, show. Sure, it was just, that's all I could, like, right now I'm shrugging. Because I'm like, I don't know what to say. So, I just said it's just a, uh, show. But SmackDown, I thought, was pretty good. I thought it was a pretty good show. And it did its job. Show opened with Kevin Owens getting that hero's welcome. (laughs) See what I did there? Oh, no. And talks about beating Shane at SummerSlam. He puts over the King of the Ring. And mentions names like Austin, Edge, Brett, Owen Hart, and others. He wants to be added to that list of the greats to win the uh, King of the Ring tournament. Out comes Shane McMahon and my excitement. And the first minutes, I was excited. And then the next just went plummeting downhill. Fans were chanting asshole at um, Shane. is like, oh, that's not nice to call Kevin Owens that. <laughs> that was actually pretty hilarious. But again, why is Shane on television? Can we just move on from this, please? Like, seriously, can we move on from this? Now, he comes out, he finds uh, KO $100,000. Backstage, they followed up. He threw, a, I think he threw a chair at a table, and he finds it. He ups it by adding 5000 to that fine. So, that that's it. Looks like this feud is continuing. I don't want to see it. Seriously, I don't. We have Charlotte Flair versus Ember Moon. This was a decent match. They actually let them wrestle. They did, like, I don't know what it is with Ember Moon. It's like, she's directionless right now. I don't know what's going on with Ember Moon. Because the woman is talented. And her match with Charlotte proved it. And instead of beating Charlotte in 45 seconds, they let them go out there and they just had a decent match. For what it is. Now, we all knew Charlotte Flair was, like, at the end of the day, we all knew Charlotte was going to beat Ember Moon because she just beat Trish Stratus. And 
this is going to make her lobby for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And speaking of which, Bailey wanted Candice LeRae to challenge her. She wants to challenge Candice LeRae, and she would put her title on the line. That would be a fine match. Take my money. Take my money. But do I trust WWE's main roster booking of Candice LeRae if she gets called up? The answer is no. The answer is no. So, Charlotte Flair, she defeated Ember Moon, it, to no surprise there. Brian, he cut a really good promo about him and Rowan having nothing to do with the attack on Roman Reigns. He called Murphy a liar and doesn't blame him since Reigns had him pressed against the wall. Brian denies the involvement and the crowd was chanting, It was you. And at Brian, and he said, It's the fault of the fans and society as a whole. And that was just, that's it. He dropped the mic and that was it. We had Alistair Black. Um, can somebody please pick a fight with him or knock on his door? Hey, um, um, hey, Shinsuke, are you looking for challengers? Are you looking for challengers? I got Alistair Black waiting in that dark room. Or let's call the let's call NXT. Hey, um, hey, Papa H, can I go to, back to NXT where I could get legit? Well, I could get legit competition like an Adam Cole or a Dominic Dijakovic or a Damian Priest or a Johnny Gargano or or somebody. Like, seriously. Are they, are they going to keep this guy locked in that door with no direction? That, that's pretty much what it's telling me. They ha- Alistair Black has no direction. WWE doesn't know what they're going to do with Alistair Black. He beats Cesaro. He beats Sami Zayn. Who else is who else is going to challenge him? Is it going to be Cedric Alexander? Is it going to be Bobby Roode? Somebody, give me somebody. Give me somebody for crying out loud. We had a really good match. Like moving on, we had a really really good match between Roman Reigns and Buddy Murphy. Buddy Murphy lost the match, but he looked like a big star in the end. And we are, and I know that. Because I've been keeping up with 205 Live. The dude was the best thing about 205 Live. You watch his matches, it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You, um... Roman Reigns, I thought this was one of his best matches since he since he returned from his leukemia treatment, which is now, which, is, which was in remission. This was, I think this was the best that Roman Reigns has ever been. And to be quite honest, Roman Reigns... Even though I crapped on him back then, I'm starting to, it's starting to come up a little bit for me to actually respect a guy like Roman Reigns. It's starting to come up slowly, just letting you know. And honestly, Buddy Murphy, after that match, this guy needs to be pushed. He needs to be pushed to the top of the moon and be in programs like you can start off in the mid card and have him face a, a Shinsuke Nakamura or a Mustafa Ali or a Chad Gable who apparently is still a SmackDown superstar and s- just put on classics and then work your way to the top and face the Bryans, the Kofis, the Ortons and all that other jazz. And what and if Brock Lesnar comes to SmackDown which granted he will cuz I mean what else is there for him to do on Raw and SmackDown is moving to Fox. They need big names, and Brock is one of those guys. And he might go for the WWE t- title. Can you imagine a uh, a Brock Lesnar that wants to work versus Buddy Murphy? <laughs> Take my money, man. Take my money. There was one part of the match 
where he hit a fucking Kamigoye on uh, Roman Reigns. Buddy Murphy's just so good. He's like literally on my top 10 of the best in-ring workers in the men's division as a whole in WWE. So, Brian talks to Buddy Murphy after clearing out the locker room. He gets in his face and wants to admit that he lied. He doesn't speak. And Rowan, like, it felt like I was watching a Mafia movie and Rowan was just tossing him around like a, like a rag doll and Brian's acting like one of the bosses and lets his henchmen do all the work to just lay him out. And they pressed him and Buddy said, yeah, I lied, I lied. And I love this line that Brian said. You know... I just don't like liars. And Rowan just tosses him at the end. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. And this was after when Samoa Joe defeated Kevin Owens. Elias, he pulled the ref, did a quickest fast count that I've ever seen. It was like, one, two, three. And that was it. I'm like, what? Now we got to continue this program again? Jesus Christ, man. So... We had Randy Orton in the Revival. They defeated the New Day. They laid them out uh, post-match. And at the end, we had Brian saying that he wants an apology from Roman. And he's going to reveal the attacker next week. So, this should get people excited for uh, SmackDown. And I can't wait to see where this goes uh, moving forward. I want to quickly run through NXT real quick. They're really, It was nothing but a repack. No, like a package of what happened at TakeOver Toronto. But out of all of them, one of my favorite ones has to be Io Shirai's Descent into Darkness. And I enjoyed it. It is fantastic. And I'm still speechless talking about it. Just take a look at that video package that they did on Io. Absolutely great shit, WWE. Great shit. Um, we have Brizongo defeating the Forgotten Sons. I'm really happy to see Brizongo back. And Fandango hasn't lost a step. He hasn't lost a step. And he still got he still got it after being out for a while. Um, we had Jordan Miles defeating Cameron Grimes in the NXT Breakout Tournament Finals. He wins and he gets to choose any champion of his choosing. And they did the tapings and I'm not going to say who he challenged. But you'll know when you see it. So that was NXT. It was just highlighting what happened at TakeOver Toronto. But um, let's talk about uh, some news coming from NXT. Um, WWE keeping information about NXT moves to FS1 quiet. NXT TakeOver Toronto was a big night for WWE's developmental brand, but the show must go on. There will be more television tapings, on, which happened last Thursday, and we'll have... Uh, all those spoilers right here, which I unfortunately had to read because you just it's hard to avoid spoilers. Their next set of tapings after Thursday could be their last. As previously reported, there are plans for NXT to be a weekly live show starting soon. Therefore, NXT's next set of tapings on September 11th and 12th could be their final tapings before going live on FS1. PW Insider reports there has been no indication that anyone intentionally, no, anyone internally that it's happening in regards to going live on FS1 with a a two-hour show. Therefore, WWE is playing their card very close 
to the vest on this one. We have to wait and see what the company is going to do. After all, if they're going live on FS1, then they probably need to make the announcement about that sooner or later. And Pete and Mike Johnson, he continued to say that it isn't a short thing if NXT to FS1 isn't a short thing. Now, Mike Johnson said that WWE's plan to move to NXT to Wednesday nights just a plain just a plan at this point. It's just a plan at this point. My bad. They want to live. They want a live two-hour program on FS1, but it it might not happen until November. Now he said, and I quote: "There has been a lot of pitch to do NXT live from Full Sail every Wednesday, possibly starting it, possibly starting it October, um, possibly starting in November. They just don't have a deal done, and I'm not going to say." And I'm not saying the deal will ever get done, but there, there has been enough talk in the company about this is where what we're going to do, but this is what we're going to do, and this is what the plan will be. But people think that you, that you would think that that we know. Yes, this is a done deal. Don't, don't. It's still something that's being discussed. Unquote. I don't like this. I don't like. Like, people could say NXT moving to two hours is a good thing. No, it's not. Like, I don't need two hours of NXT. I'm fine with watching it in one hour. And, yes, we've been lobbying for them to go live so we could avoid the spoilers. But, at this point, I don't even want them to go live. And I'm even hearing rumors that Vince McMahon might get might be hands-on on... Um, on NXT, which I hope to God that doesn't happen, because you're gonna take away what makes Triple, what make, what Triple H made special, and just kill it. And if NXT beats AEW in the ratings, he's gonna take all the credit and not Triple H, because he wants to feed his own ego. Because that's why they want to move it to FS1. They want to combat AEW. Like you gotta be. Out of your mind if you don't think that's the case. They want to combat AEW. Like, this is ridiculous, man. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and to make this even worse, there's talks of them using main roster talent for that NXT show. Why would you risk the integrity of NXT when you got a bunch of stars that are waiting to get their chance to shine? Like, don't do that. Just don't do that. And this is Vince McMahon we're talking about. He's not going to listen. He's a stubborn old bastard. He is stubborn. Yes, he did. Like the last episode, I talked about what he did with Harley Race. That was a one-time thing. But him being e egotistical and try to put AEW out of business? Why don't you just worry about putting... How about you worry about bringing your brand, making it better... And let Triple H do his own thing. He has his own team. And if I swear to everything, if Vince and Kevin Dunn get involved in this, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I'm seriously done if that happens. Like, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Moving along. NXT Superstar provides update after surgery. NXT brand recently suffered a couple of hard losses to their women's divisions. Ellering went down with an injured knee and Karen Q broke her ankle. Now Karen Q has some progress to report. In a Twitter post today, Karen Q revealed that her split was removed today and now she has a walking boot. This is good news because it means her body is working to heal up after an unfortunate injury. 
She tweeted this out saying, I got my splint removed and my in exchange for a boot. And this is where I laughed at. They had to give me a child size boot instead of an adult size because my feet is five foot. My my size five foot was too small. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Tweet simply in the way that Karen Q revealed that she needed to get a child size boot. But the injury is still serious. Hopefully she obey doctor's orders and get back to her return to the ring in a timely fashion. I can't wait to see what Karen Q does when she gets back. And I really, really, like, I hope that she heals up in time because we got a lot of talented women that wants to get their time in the spotlight. Speaking of what, now, I did hear that Kavita Devi uh, got successful surgery on her ACL. So she's going to be out for a while, too. And hopefully she recovers. The same could be said for Rachel Ellering as well. Japanese wrestling legend joins the WWE Performance Center coaching staff. WWE is always looking for the best talent available in the pro wrestling world, and they have recently signed a huge name for the WWE Performance Center coaching staff. Kendo Kashin was not only Finn Balor's first trainer when he went to Japan, but he's had a fantastic career before then as well. Now, he is an official member of the WWE Performance Center coaching staff, as WWE noted in the official announcement concerning his hiring. Tokimitsu Ishizawa, who made his his name in a square circle as the mass grappler Kendo Kashin, is the newest coach to join WWE's training facility in Orlando, Florida. This is a very smart addition to the PC team, especially since WWE has expressed interest in a performance center in Japan. We'll just have to wait and see whether Kendall Kashin uh, winds up making his way back to Japan for some bigger position in a new performance center down the line. And I am looking at this photo of Finn Balor and his mentor. So, this is a nice gift for WWE. This is a really nice gift. Now, speaking of which, we have some new names that have been revealed for the NXT roster, well, the latest signees to WWE. And we're going to reveal them to you right now. Starting with Austin Theory. Austin White, a.k.a. Austin Theory, is one of sports entertainment's fastest-rising young prospects, hailing from uh, Georgia, while already has experiencing facing top NXT superstars as part of the Black and Gold brand's relationship with Evolve Wrestling. He won the Evolve title from Fabian Eichner last December in a triple threat match that also featured Roderick Strong and has since battled the likes of Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano at Evolve events. He also made his WWE Network debut in July, defeating J.D. Drake to win the WWE title at the Evolve 10th Anniversary Celebration. And like I said in my takeover uh, thoughts and reactions, don't sleep on Austin Theory. The dude has the biggest it factor when it comes to pro wrestling. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be a main player in NXT. He's going to be the NXT champion all day. And I enjoy his work in Evolve. And he's dropping that title sooner rather than later. Santana Garrett. My my girl Santana Garrett was a competitor in the inaugural Mae Young Classic, has also been featured on NXT TV. Since making her in-ring debut, Garrett has accumulated many title accolades, including winning the Cauliflower Alley Club Future Legend Award in 2014. 
a distinction once bestowed upon Kurt Angle. She was inspired to pursue sports entertainment by her father, or they don't want to say wrestling, by her father, former wrestler TNT Kenny G, and has been mentored by WWE Hall of Famers like Scott Hall and Larry Zabriskoe. Garrett has also wrestled internationally, competing in Japan, Chile, among other locals. I am happy that Santana Garrett has signed with WWE. She deserves it. She absolutely deserves it. It took them long enough. And I can't wait to see what she brings to the... Well, I know what she's going to bring, but I can't wait to see how she plays out in the storyline involving the NXT women's division. And she's going to be finishing up with Shine sooner rather than later. U.S. Army veteran and former Division I football player Tahuti Miles attended WWE tryouts in 2017 and 18. The 210-pounder from Silver Springs uh, played multiple positions in the University of Maryland uh, <clears throat> Terrapins after serving in the military, which included a tour of duty in Afghanistan. More recently, Miles has gained wrestling experience coming on Maryland's independence scene. Six foot six, two hundred and sixty-five pounder EJ Naduka, if I pronounced it right, brings a diverse athletic background to the performance center. He played professional football for four years, including stints in the CFL, the IFL, and AFL, and later became a champion bodybuilder. Naduka also trained in mixed martial arts and boxing. He attended the tryouts in the performance center in December of April twenty not no April of this year and December of last year. 24-year-old uh, Alexander Jaksik, if I pronounced it right, played semi-pro basketball in Germany before setting his sights on the ring. The 6'5", 230-pounder initially trained under the former WWE Intercontinental Champion Santino Morella at the Battle Arts Academy in Canada and has received coaching from former WCW star Alex Wright. He spent uh, several weeks, no, several years wrestling in Germany under the alias LX Ken. And he took part in WWE's trial in Cologne last uh, November. Brianna, Bra Bri uh, Brianna Brandy has one of the most unique paths to the Performance Center, an aspiring hip hop artist who toured alongside the likes of Soldier Boy and Jadakiss. The 5'9 Brandy has. Years of ninjutsu and extreme crossfit training under her belt. She also played basketball and was a competitive swimmer in high school. Brandy previously attended the WWE tryout last year in June. The new class also includes several athletes recruited from last December's tryout in Santiago, Chile. WWE's first camp in the country, which drew dozens of attendees from throughout Latin America. Brazil's Rita Rias... 24 is a jiu-jitsu world champion and multi-time medalist in both jiu-jitsu and judo. She won titles in not only in her native country, but throughout Europe as well. Riaz also took home the gold in Abu Dhabi's World Professional Jiu-Jitsu Championship in 2017. Marco Gomez, also of Brazil, joins the WWPC from the world of combat sports. The 260-pounder specializes in jiu-jitsu, but also trains in boxing and wrestling, and is an instructor in Muay Thai. Finally, Catalina Garcia from Chile goes by the, by the professional alias La Diva del Ring, Jesse, on the independent wrestling circuit. Garcia has competed in Chilean promotions. I don't know if I pronounced it right. Five luchas 
uh, Clandestino and Max Lucha Libre, as well as Santiago's base Revolucion Lucha Libre, where she is a two-time women's champion. And that's the latest of the signings. So congratulations to all of them. I can't wait to see what they do. And hopefully we see where they go from here. I didn't watch 205 Live because, like I said, I've been pretty busy. And finally, NXT UK. Flash Morgan Webster, he defeated Mark Coffey. This is building towards them facing Grizzled Young Vets, possibly in a triple threat match for the NXT UK Tag Team Championships. We had a backstage brawl involving Piper Niven and Rhea Ripley. We had Travis Banks defeating Kenny Williams. Nina Samuels defeating Isla Dawn. I, I, I really love Isla Dawn. She has an amazing look. Her entrance is fantastic. And hopefully we see what... Uh, hopefully she's a future NXT UK Women's Champion in the future. I, I know this. Now, at Joe Coffey versus Dave Mastiff was confirmed. So they were faced each other at NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff in a last man standing match. This should be good. And Cassius Ono versus Ia Dragunov. This was a good match. And Cassius Ono handed Ia Dragunov his first defeat since coming to NXT UK. And before we go, there's reports on Tony Storm. Apparently, she is injured. Tony Storm is one of the most popular wrestlers in the NXT UK, but she was recently pulled from a WXW show over SummerSlam weekend without any reason. Some fans were concerned for Tony Storm, and they might have had a reason to worry. F4W Online reports that Tony Storm was pulled from the WXW event because she is injured. This is not good news, but the extent of her injury is currently unknown at this time. Tony Storm has been through a lot in the past year, and an injury is certainly not something that she needs right now. Hopefully, whatever is wrong with Tony Storm isn't going to keep her out of action for long. She is the vital piece of the puzzle for the NXT UK, and she's booked to defend the NXT UK women's title against Kaylee Ray at UK TakeOver Cardiff on August 31st. Hopefully, it's nothing serious. I really hope it's nothing serious. And if it is, then she's dropping that title to Kaylee Ray at TakeOver. But I'm hoping and praying that it's nothing bad and she makes it on time, she recovers on time for NXT UK TakeOver in Cardiff. I'm getting out of here, guys. Uh, I have a lot of things to do. Saturday I'll be at uh, work. I have to do this training. But I want to thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast. Um, just keep supporting this podcast. It really does a lot. It really means a lot to me when you continue to support this show. Follow me on Twitter at Shino D Phoenix. You'll find me there a lot. Uh, follow me on Instagram at CoolManSip. Like the Facebook page. Share this podcast with your friends. Let the world know that this is the fastest rising wrestling podcast right now. And I will see you guys next time for episode 27. Until then, I want to say take care. Be good. The ad is going to play after the end of this podcast. Be good. God bless. I'll talk to you later. Peace out.